0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Judgment Call podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good night. If you're listening to this falling asleep, whatever it is for you, hope you're having a great day or had a great day. This is Miles and we are going to get started. I have four topics for you today. It's actually going to be a pretty light podcast. Like All the other ones are a little bit longer because there were more games. Wild Card Weekend, we had four. Last Weekend, we had four. This Weekend, we only have two. It's the conference championship games. So it's going to be relatively quick. And then I have two other topics I want to talk about, about the coaching hires. I said I'd talk about it at the end of last podcast. I'm going to go ahead and throw it in this podcast. I'm going to throw it after the championship matchups because... Like some people, like not everybody, really cares about coaching hires. I'm pretty sure most of the people tuning in to this, yes, you care about the conference championship games. Not every care, not everybody else cares about like who was hired where. No, not a lot of people care about that. So I'm gonna go ahead and give you my analysis of the two conference championship games, and then after that, I will get into the Browns coaching hire, and then I will get into the Carolina coaching hire. So we have two potentially incredible matchups this Sunday. This is tomorrow. Uh, I believe it's January 19th. And up first, we have the AFC Championship game between the Titans and the Chiefs at 205, followed by the NFC Championship game at 540, where we have the Packers playing against the 49ers. And these matchups could go one of two ways. Either they're competitive or they are absolute blowouts. And they're not competitive at all. They're going to be boring to watch after like a quarter or two. So for the first game of the day, we have the Titans going to Arrowhead Stadium to play the Chiefs. And they've already played this once this season. In Week 10, the T- Tennessee Titans beat the Kansas City Chiefs 35-32. to And they came up huge in the last play of the game. They blocked a potential game time field goal as the time expired. And I really hope that this game is just as good as it was in November. Because that game in November really had a playoff feel to it. No, no team got out to an incredible lead and someone had to come back. It was pretty even. The Chiefs did get up 10 at one point, but then the Titans did score and then was close for the rest of the game. That's a real playoff atmosphere. The crowd was into it. Both teams weren't backing down. It was a fantastic game. And just like in the playoff run that the Titans are going on now, Derrick Henry had 180 plus yards. They had 188 yards in that game. And I think he did it on 22 carries. He had two touchdowns. So he had his normal great game. Like I said a while ago when I was talking about how hot the Titans are, they win the game when Derrick Henry gets the ball and either scores or rushes for at least 180 yards. He's going; They're going to win the game. That's just facts. That's how they've got all their wins during their their win streak. But just like in the playoffs now, the unsung hero of this Titans team is not... Like, I understand that Derrick Henry is getting the praise, and rightfully so. The unsung hero is not the punter, like I said a while ago, who kept pinning the Patriots deep and forcing them to go a long ways down the field and shorten their playbook. It's not even the defense, it's not even the coaching. The unsung hero of this Tennessee Titans team is their quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. And his stats aren't flashy. So, People think just to be a good quarterback, you have to have great stats. You have to throw for 300 yards and have a certain amount of touchdowns. No, you don't have to do that. Ryan Tannehill's stats are not flashy in any way. His style of play won't turn heads. It's not going to make you want to look at the TV screen. It's relatively boring, actually. And, but the thing about Ryan Tannehill is this guy has been clutch all season. Ever since they benched Marcus Mariota, they're not asking Ryan Tannehill to do much. They're just asking him. When they do ask him to do anything, they're just like, hey, execute. And he does it every time. He makes all the throws the Titans ask him to do, which isn't often either. He, he doesn't even throw the ball 20 times a game. He'll throw the ball maybe 15 to 19 times a game. There was the one game against the Patriots. they he only threw it nine times. So he doesn't throw the ball much but he makes all the throws that the Titans ask him to make. And those times are usually in high-level situations where the Titans either need to convert on a third down or a touchdown. And in this first game, he was 13 of 19 for 181 yards and two touchdowns. Now, that might sound like he was throwing the ball fairly often, but no. 131 of his 181 yards came in two drives and those two drives were the only two drives where he threw his touchdowns. The first was w- were when the Titans were down 10-0 and they needed points on the board. Tannehill completed a 52-yard bomb to Khalif Raymond, very, very similar to the one that they had against the Ravens. And then the Titans scored on a Tannehill touchdown pass. Then, later on in the game, he led the Titans on a 61-yard game-winning drive and converted the two-point conversion to make it a three-point game. The Titans have an incredible run game. They have a great defense. I'm not taking anything away from the Titans at all. All of that is great. Their coaching has been fantastic. Derrick, Hen- Derrick Henry has been fantastic. But Brian Tannehill needs to get a lot of credit for what he's doing for this team. They have a quarterback that is fantastic in clutch moments. And if I'm being honest, these are all the tools of a dark horse team that can slow down this Chiefs team and can make it to the Super Bowl. I think the Tennessee Titans have a very high probability of winning this game. But even though I say that, even though I think the Tennessee Titans should not be counted out, I know people have been counting them out since they made it to the playoffs. I don't think they should be counted out at all. But even in saying that the Chiefs should still be the favorites in this game. In the first game versus the titans patrick mahomes this was the first game back from injury where he i I don't know if he broke his kneecap or it just he dislocated his kneecap. but he was out for like three or four weeks this was his first game back from the knee injury so he wasn't his normal self but even though he wasn't his normal healthy self he threw for 446 yards three touchdowns had no interceptions and had a 72 percent completion percentage and that's on a bum leg they got Down to the wire against the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes on a bum leg, first game back from injury. So, Sunday they'll face a healthy Patrick Mahomes and company. He has all his weapons back, all of them are healthy. And then they'll have that team who just rallied off of an incredible offensive performance and defensive performance. They shut out the, well, they didn't shut them out. They only scored seven points since going up 24 0. So, both sides of the ball are going to be hot. They're going to be fired up. They're going to be healthy. So you can't question the Chiefs' ability to put points on the board. I, have, I, I am very confident that the Titans will not hold the Kansas City Chiefs to 12 points and 13 points like they did the Chiefs and the Patriots. I, just, I cannot see that happening at all. Like I could understand with the Ravens. All you have to do is take away Lamar Jackson's best weapons and contain the run game. They did that great. With the Patriots, dominate time of possession. Don't let Tom Brady get the ball. Pin him deep. They did that. I don't know how you stop this Chiefs team. The one team that did it this season was the Indianapolis Colts, and they had a good game plan where send guys after Patrick Mahomes to make it feel like the pocket is collapsing on him, and then play man coverage on the outside. So even though like, Patrick Mahomes can beat you in man coverage, he can't beat you every play in man coverage. It's really, really hard. Even though it's possible, it's hard to beat somebody in man coverage every single time. That's what the Colts did. This was early on in the season, like week four, week five, something like that. But they did good. They executed well. But I just don't see how, like, because once you, once you see something once, it's hard to do the exact same thing again and have it work. Like, I don't think you'll ever the Chiefs will ever face that same kind of defense, and then it'll work because they've already seen it once. It's already happened. The Titans will have to pull out a very creative defensive scheme to stop the Chiefs or at least slow the Chiefs down because the Chiefs are going to put up points. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. But I think the biggest key to look forward to in this game is how the Kansas City defense handles Derrick Henry in the Tennessee Titans offense. Because it's supposed to be a high of 24 degrees with really strong winds, so that means it'll feel even colder, it'll feel like 7 degrees outside. And the last thing you want to do when it feels like it's 7 degrees outside, your hands are freezing, your body is cold, you're sitting on the sideline for a long time. The last thing you want to do is tackle a six foot three, 250-pound gazelle with shoulder pads 30 times. Because that's what the Titans are going to do. They're going to hand the ball off to Derrick Henry 30 times, and they're only going to ask Ryan Tannehill to throw the ball when they need it. And that's the last thing you want to do in freezing cold weather. I have absolutely no doubts about Patrick Mahomes' ability to play in the cold. Like, it's hard to throw in the cold, but Patrick Mahomes is an all-terrain quarterback. He's proved multiple times that he can throw in the cold and throw in pretty much any kind of weather, rain, sleet, snow. It doesn't matter. So I still have no wavering confidence in the Chiefs offense at all. But I do have an issue with the defense of the Chiefs, because even though the the defense has gotten better since the last time they met over the couple last weeks of the season, they got better. But then again, the offenses they playing weren't fantastic, but they did get better. They did play better against the Texans. They did. They've been progressing. But you've got to think that it's going to be hard. And they're going to be worn down by the fourth quarter. Like, it's hard to tackle a man that big, moving that fast. And he's going to be fine because he's going to be warm. He's going to be running all day. His hamstrings are going to be loose. His body's going to be fine. But the defense, is they're going to be worn down. And so I, that is a storyline to look forward to. That is a key to look forward to. In addition to stopping him, they, also have, they, they have to know that Ryan Tannehill is only going to throw the ball when they really need it. And they have to shut that down. But hey, I'm not counting the Titans out at all. I think if anybody can beat this Chiefs team, it is going to be the Tennessee Titans. And then after that game, we have the Packers and the 49ers. So on the flip side, for the NFC matchup, the last time they played, the Packers and the 49ers, The Packers got destroyed. They were manhandled. The score was 37 to eight. It was not close at all. That eight points came at the end of the third quarter. The Packers couldn't get anything moving. And I'll give them this. They were missing their right tackle, Brian Bulaga, in this game. But it doesn't really matter because everyone else was getting pushed around too. Everyone was getting pushed around at the point of attack on both sides of the ball. They were shut out for two and a half quarters. Their game plan didn't work. Even when plays did work, people were in the backfield already. Aaron Rodgers was sacked, I think, five times, and he was under duress even more. And the thing is, when you're that old, you can't move around like you did in 2011. He can't run for his life. He's a 36 year old quarterback. It's not going to happen. That's why I keep saying Aaron Rodgers is probably never going to have one of those vintage 2011 performances because he can't move like he used to. He's he's acknowledged that he's on the back nine of his career and he's not that same kind of athlete. Does he have the same kind of arm talent? Yes. Does he have the same kind of arm precision? Yes. All that is fine, but he can't move around like he used to. So he'll need time in the pocket. And the 49ers probably will not give him that. Their defensive line is incredible. So... The Packers couldn't run the ball well. They couldn't pass the ball well. And mainly it was because of the pressure. And the 49ers are also a really aggressive team. They don't stop for four quarters of football. They do not let up at all. And the thing is, nothing about the defense has changed. This 49 Niners defense has kept the same intensity for 16, 17 games of football now. And honestly, they've gotten healthier and they've gotten better from the health. Rookies off the bench have been able to step up. Like Dre Greenlaw's played fantastic in place of guys who went down. Quan Alexander went down with a torn pec earlier in the season. He came back. He didn't even have to play all game because of how good Dre Greenlaw was playing. He was able to rest more, and he could come back even healthier in this game. And also, the 49ers offense is getting better. They're more in sync. They're making less mistakes. They're getting more physical and so this team is going to be near impossible to beat unless Aaron Rodgers does somehow magically have that vintage performance and, or the Packers just play a nearly perfect game. And like that's the only way I can see the Packers winning because that means not falling for the 49ers creativity on offense. They have to be extremely physical and disciplined all game. They have to contain the run game as much as possible since they run by committee. When a tired back goes out, a fresh running back is coming in and all of their running backs are good. And it's like, well, what do you do? It's like, we get Aaron Rodgers is good. We get Aaron Jones is good. We get Jamal Williams is good. We get Devontae Adams is good. But when you have a team and also a defensive coordinator who's going to put the right personnel out there, he's going to put the right game plan to shut down this team. Because when you look at the team, they have two threats. They have Aaron Jones and they have Devontae Adams. Everybody else, Aaron Rodgers doesn't trust. And if I know that, the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, Robert Salah, knows that. And he's going to take those weapons away from him the same way Dean Pease and the Titans took away the weapons from Lamar Jackson and Tom Brady. They're going to take away what they do best. And they're going to say, hey, throw it to Alan Lazard. Hey, throw it to Jake Kumaro. We don't really care about that. We have guys. We have the speed in the secondary. And we have the pressure to get to you before you even have the chance to get it to them. So the only thing that they could possibly do is play a near-perfect game. And all season long, I have not seen that. They've been playing close games. They've been playing really ugly games. If somehow the game does get ugly and it gets close and both teams are making mistakes and going into halftime, it's like 10 to 6. Then, hey, maybe I can see the Packers winning because they've been winning ugly all season. They find a way to gut out those wins where it's really, really close going into the late game. But they've been stalling on offense all season. Their game plan has only worked on script. And this 49ers defense does not allow you to make mistakes. They will capitalize. And they will also force you to make multiple mistakes. And I'm just not sure the Packers can overcome that. I usually don't make predictions. I'm not going to make a prediction. But if I were a betting man, I would bet all my money on the 49ers. So. Now that we're done with the matchups of tomorrow, let's move on to these coaching hires. And the first one that caught my eye was the Browns hiring the Vikings offensive coordinator, Kevin Stefanski, to be their head coach. And my initial reaction was, yeah, I mean, it's OK. Like, it's not bad. I understand why they went this direction. Because last year, when they let Greg Williams go, apparently Paul DePodesta, their quote unquote chief of strategy. I don't know what that position is because they don't have a GM. And they also, it's just literally the owner. There's no one under him, but he did hire a chief of strategy that's supposed to help him make football decisions. And he, Paul Podesta is his name. He wanted to go for this guy. He wanted to go for Kevin Stefanski last year, but The owner, Jimmy Haslam, overruled him and was like, nope, we're going to stick with kitchens. Baker Mayfield likes kitchens. We're going to stick with him for a year or however long. Didn't work out. So now I understand why they did end up going with Kevin Stefanski. They're going to give him a try and see how he does. And in case you didn't know, the Browns kind of put it out there that pretty much either Robert Salah or Kevin Stefanski were going to get the job when they played against each other. And the Vikings lost 27 to 10. And they still hired. The guy who lost instead of waiting until the playoffs were over and bringing in Robert Salah. I just thought that that was a very Browns move that is, ex- that like, there's, you cannot write it better than that. But I will defend him for at least a brief second and say that the loss was not his fault. It wasn't because his game plan was bad. It wasn't because of any of that. I think Kevin Stefanski is a solid play caller. He's really good at scheming guys open and really good at utilize, utilizing a team's talent. But against the 49ers, they just had better dudes. Like, it's really hard to beat a team when you are physically outmatched everywhere on the field. And it wasn't a result of bad play calling. Like I said, it just, those are results of, the 49ers defense is just absurd. You just have to give the 49ers credit for being a very good football team. It's hard to beat them. So, with that being said, I have no clue if he'll be a successful coach or not with the Browns. But I am sure that he'll at least implement a system that utilizes all the talent around the Browns' office. The Browns have talent everywhere. They have Jarvis Landry. They have Odell Beckham, David Njoku, Nick Chubb. This is a very talented team on offense. Their only weakness is their offensive line, which hopefully that's where they go in the draft, or hopefully they go out in free agency and get somebody to protect Baker Mayfield. But at bare minimum... I believe that he'll be able to utilize all that talent and the Browns should should put up a lot of points this season. Even if they don't win, they should put up a lot of points. And most of my hesitation about the Browns and their ability to be successful is not because of Kevin Stefanski and because he's never been a head coach before. It's because of their owner, Jimmy Haslam, and his inability to stay out of football operations, not Kevin Stefanski's ability as a coach. And it's like, I get it. He's never been a head coach before. That does give you even more reason to hesitate. But I don't really hate the hire. I think it's great to get Baker and, and that offense an offensive of mind. I'm glad they didn't go Robert Sala strictly because he's a defensive-minded head coach. But the thing is, with the Browns, at the uh, during the press conference, the introductory press conference for the Kevin Stefanski hire, they were talking, and by the way, Kevin Stefanski did a great job of saying absolutely nothing. Like a lot of Brown coaches before have came in and said, we're going to change the culture. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to achieve this. No, Kevin Stefanski just kind of just went in there and said nothing for 30 minutes, which is good. That's what you want your coach to do. You don't want him to promise any lofty goals. You just want to be like, hey, I'm going to go in here, and I'm going to do the best I can. That's great. He did a good job. But Jimmy Haslam was talking about why he didn't hire other people and why he did hire Kevin Stefanski. And it's like, well, it sounds like nothing is going to change. Jimmy Haslam thinks that the Browns are a failure over the past years because he hasn't had enough input in football operations. And I just think that's a sign that nothing is ever going to change until he's no longer the owner. And if he does fail, if Kevin Stefanski does fail, it won't be his fault. It will be the fault of owner Jimmy Haslam because obviously his football knowledge is limited because for the past 20 or so years, he's been the owner and he's still been putting input in the team and how the team should run and who the team should draft. And it has not worked. I don't know why he can't realize that, but for some reason he can't. And he thinks he needs even more input in it. And to that, I say, Godspeed. God bless his heart. I don't know what's going through his head. I do think, however, the Browns are missing out on a lot of opportunities because he is their owner. He said they didn't want Josh McDaniels because he wanted to make sweeping changes to the front office. He wanted to get rid of a bunch of guys that were making the organization fail. It didn't include Jimmy Haslam, but it did include pretty much everybody else that was underneath Jimmy Haslam. And who knows why they didn't wait till the playoffs to get their pick of the litter. Because after they hired Kevin Stefanski, the next day, the Chiefs put up 51 points. And it was in large part to coach Eric Bieniemy last year. Andy Reid was calling most of the plays. This year, their offensive coordinator, Eric Biennemi, has been calling pretty much all of the plays. It's like 80-20 split between him and Andy Reid. But they put up 51 points, and they went on a 51-7 to run. That is extremely impressive. I'm not sure why they just didn't wait till after the playoffs were over to get their pick of the litter, and they went ahead and already got Kevin Stefanski. I guess it was because Paul Podesta has that big of an influence on what jimmy haslam does i guess jimmy haslam really has too many guys in his ear that's why josh mcdaniels wanted to fire so many people so the only person in his ear was him a guy who knew a lot about football and how football operates also the 49ers defensive coordinator has been great if they did want to go defense because they do also have a lot of talent on defense and a lot of guys that could be utilized the same way they're utilizing guys in san francisco And then also there's Greg Roman who utilized, who created an entire system for Lamar Jackson. He could do the same for Baker Mayfield, use his strengths and create a whole offense around him. But no, they brought them all in for interviews for some reason, but they immediately went with Kevin Stefanski after he lost. And they kind of put it out there that they were either going with him or Salah. And... I don't know. I really feel like the Browns are really swinging and missing here. They're missing out on a lot of opportunities to become a better football team. And I hate it. I really hope it all works out for the Dog Pound. They at least deserve a winning team. They didn't have a winning season all the past decade. At bare minimum, they deserve a winning season. I don't know if they will even get that while Jimmy Haslam is their owner, and at least until he sells the team. I don't think so. I hope they do. They definitely deserve it, but I just... I can't understand why they didn't explore their options more. Now, unlike the Cleveland Browns, the Carolina Panthers are making great decisions. But even though they are making great decisions, I know the Panthers fans and the Panthers organizations just went on a roller coaster of emotions because you got some really good news followed by some really bad news. And it's usually best to take the bad news first. So, what you kind of wish you would have heard is that your star linebacker retired. At 28 years old, he posted a heartbreaking video on Twitter, on the Panthers Twitter page, and he announced his retirement. He was really broken down about it, but I understand Luke Keekley was a fantastic quarterback, fantastic quarterback of the defense, a middle linebacker. And it's like, well, I understand why he retired because legends of the game, like any of them, when they retire young, it's because they didn't want to play the game when they feel like they couldn't give it their all, they couldn't give it all their love and their body just wouldn't let them give it all that they wanted to. Their body would start breaking down on them like Patrick Willis comes to mind. Andrew Luck comes to mind. Kobe didn't retire young, but he wanted to play in his mind. He wanted to play even longer, he wanted to play forever, but his body started breaking down on him. Gronk retired young. Cam Chancellor retired young. It's like, I get it. It wasn't because of the re- direction that the Panthers are going either since they're starting this quote-unquote rebuild, even though their owner, David Tepper, doesn't want to call it that. He he really he really didn't retire because of that. He even wished their new head coach, Matt Rule good luck. He said he liked the guy. And I just hate it for the Carolina Panthers because I did like all their coaching hires. They got Joe Brady from LSU. That is the great news. Even though Luke Hickett retired, wish him the best. Wish him the best. He's a definite surefire Hall of Famer. He had a fantastic career. You got the bad news out the way, but the news you got before all this happened is you hired the passing game coordinator from LSU. This is huge. You saw what he did for Joe Burrow. He's literally the best choice they could have went out and got because you know they're gonna get a new quarterback. You know they're moving in a new direction over the past few, over the next few years, and you know they're gonna to want to instill this kind of offense. And you knew that Matt Rule wanted to go get a guy who wanted to win, even if the culture hadn't been established yet. He wanted to establish that culture, and he's got that guy in Joe Brady. And this is why, actually, you tune into the podcast because I said that the Panthers were heading for something special. Over a month ago, this was on December 6th, was the episode I started talking about Ron Rivera being fired in the new direction of the Carolina Panthers. Now, did I know it was going to be this good of a hire? Absolutely not. But looking at the culture that their owner, David Tepper, is trying to establish, you knew he had something cooking. Joe Brady with LSU installed a system that really helped Joe Burrow. Win a Heisman. Yes, Joe Burrow did go in the offseason, put in an incredible amount of work that made him a very, very good quarterback. I'm not taking anything away from Joe Burrow. He is a talented quarterback. But Joe Brady helped by putting in a fantastic system that would utilize his talents. And not only did he utilize his talents, he shattered the record books. And now you have him calling plays for your team. This is a fantastic hire. Now, just like I said for Matt Rule, Be patient with Joe Brady. Do not expect Kyle Allen to be Joe Burrow next year and throw for 60 touchdowns. That's not going to happen. That is unrealistic. He probably won't even be your starting quarterback. And the Panthers are, honestly, they would probably want to find their own quarterback in the draft anyways. But that does lead me to their draft position and what they're going to do with their pick. So they have the number seven pick in the NFL draft. And before Luke Keekly retired, I was like, oh, well, this is easy. Just call up Detroit or the Giants, give them what they want for those picks or to just swap the picks and go get Tua. It was a very simple game plan. And then Luke Keekley retired out of nowhere. And now I'm like, oh, man, Ugh. well, that's complicated. He was the anchor of their defense for eight years. You can't just have that hole and be like, oh, we'll go get a middle linebacker next year. No, you can't have that. He was the quarterback of the defense. The middle linebacker is the quarterback, the anchor of your defense. He tells everybody where to be. He pretty much controls how the defense works. And they just lost that. Their guy of eight years who was an incredible talent, they lost him. He's gone. And now what do you do? They have You have a very complicated situation because number seven isn't the highest of picks, but it is a very good pick. And what do you do now? You need a middle linebacker, but you also need a quarterback because you're probably not going to bring Cam back. That is too big of a cap hit on your team. The other two quarterbacks you have, Kyle Allen and Will Greer, just aren't cutting it. And you, you now you need a middle linebacker. So since they have the number seven pick, do you trade up for Isaiah Simmons? Because I doubt he makes it to sevens. So, I think if the Giants or the Lions don't take him then yes, he will make it to seven because I'm pretty sure that Miami and the Chargers are going to go quarterback. But do you also stay at seven and see who's there and then possibly trade back? You could always get a guy like Derrick Brown. They do need interior defensive line help. Jeff Okuda could possibly fall if Detroit doesn't take him. Justin Justin Simmons could possibly fall if the Lions decide to go linebacker and then the Giants decide to go offensive tackle because they do need offensive tackle help. And then the two quarterbacks will go ahead of you, Tua and Justin Herbert. And then you could possibly pick up any. You could pick up anybody at the seventh spot. Or do you stay there at seven and possibly take Justin Herbert if he falls? It's just like, what do you do? Because you could always just not take a quarterback, go the safe route, fill some positional needs, and try your luck on a guy like Jason Eason on like day two or possibly early day three. But it really, really, really struck me that Oh, man, even though they are in a rebuilding stage, they've got a lot of work to do. And this is going to be an extremely interesting offseason to watch. I think it'll be really fun, though. Like, I do think it'll be interesting depending on what moves they make. But I think it'll be fun. I think this will be a very fun team to watch grow. A lot of people might not be paying attention to this, but I surely am because I want to see how this is going to work out. And even though they really do have some things to figure out, I think they are headed in the right direction. But if I were you, I would continue to follow this storyline. And this is it. I'm done. I'm done wasting your time. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope whatever you were doing, you had fun. Thank you for listening so much. Again, this is Miles Wilson with the Judgment Call podcast. If you did make it this far, I do appreciate you. And if you also made it this far, share the podcast. Fastest way word travels by word of mouth. Get it out to anybody, everybody you can. I really appreciate each and every one of you. And I will talk to you probably Monday. I'll see you when I see you. Peace out.